We are in the middle of a uh, series on stewardship called A Life That Counts. And we've been talking about how, we, how to live a life that counts. And everybody wants to live a life that matters. Everybody, when it's all said and done, we want to be able to say, my life made a difference one way or another. And we've been talking about that. And we talked about, uh, and, and, and there's this misconception that stewardship is all about money. It's not. It's about everything. It, it, all of the Christian life boils down to an issue of stewardship. Because it's what are we going to do with what God has given to us. And so we, we, we talked about that we need to number, uh, number our days. That we realize that we have to be stewards of our time. That every day God gives us is a precious gift. And, and we have to be very conscious about how we use our days. How we use our time to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And we, we talked about living in the zone. Which that week we talked about the fact that every gift and talent and spiritual gift and ability and, and knowledge, all of the things that you can do, those are gifts from God. And he says, I want you to use them for my kingdom, not just for your own gain and for your own pleasure, but if you'll use those things for his kingdom, you can build a life that counts one day at a time. And then last time we, we talked about the gospel, really. We talked about your testimony, that we are the greatest stewardship responsibility we have of everything is the gospel, the truth of the gospel. He has given us this mission to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world all around us, and, and we're, we're going to be re held responsible and accountable for what we do with the gospel. And so we last, last week we talked about being stewards of our testimony because we, we talked about, and if you missed it, you, you should go uh, watch the message on our website at restorationlifechurch.tv. But we talked about the, the reality that, uh, uh, that you don't have to have all the answers to be able to share your faith. And there are a lot of people out there will try to ask questions just to cause problems or to try to change the subject, but you can tell them your story. You can tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. And that's something that can't be argued with. And so we talked about those things, those three things. And today we're going to be talking about first things first. First things first. So uh, I want to ask you to take a, a, a quick little uh, silly informal survey of some things about first things in our lives, okay? Are you ready? Yes, we're ready, Pastor Dave. <laughs> okay, here we go. You all have a very high-pitched voice today. Okay, when, when you're getting ready to go somewhere, you get up in the morning and, and, you, and you take your shower... Do you first get out of the shower and towel off completely, or do you let yourself drip dry? Those of you who dry, towel off completely, let me see your hand. Raise your hands, all right? All right, is there anybody here that, that drip dry? You, you say, I don't, you drip dry, okay? I've just got to tell you, that's, there's something wrong with you, you need Jesus. That's all I can say, <laughs> especially in the winter. I don't get that, all right? All right, here we go. Let's say you're... Let's say you're getting dressed and, and you're, you're, you're getting ready to go out somewhere. And, and, and so here's a, here's a really important question. Do you put on your deodorant before you get dressed or you're one of those that gets dressed and then you put the deodorant on through the sleeve? All right. So how many of you get dressed first and put on your deodorant before, before you get dressed? Uh, before, before you get dressed, you put on it. Okay. All the normal people there. Very good. Uh, and maybe you're a through-the-sleeve deodorant person. How many of you would be honest enough to say, I get dressed first, and then I put it on deodorant? And, and, and my wife was one of them that raised her hand. And that's just weird. 
I'm here to tell you that's just weird. Okay, let's be really honest here. How many of you just don't use deodorant at all? Okay, that's just nasty. That's just nasty. All right, remember, first things first. All right, let's talk about putting on your socks and shoes. What order do you put on your socks and shoes? And I don't mean do you put your shoes on before your socks. That would be totally bizarre. But here's, here's the question. Do you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Or, you know, there's some of you that, that, that uh, okay, let's just do that. How many of you, when you put your shoes on, you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Let me see your hand if you do it that way. All right, how many of you go sock, shoe, sock, shoe? All right, that's just strange. I'm sorry, that's just craziness right there. Um, here, here's another question for you, and this is a really important one. When you're getting ready to go somewhere and you, and, and you, you, you got to get yourself ready, you know, going out to some nice date or something or some big event, do you get completely ready first so that you have plenty of time to just relax a little bit before you head out the door or do you wait until the last minute and rush to get ready? Those of you that get, get ready first and then relax, raise your hands. Okay, there are a few of us. How many of you piddle around and wait until the last minute, and then at the last minute you rush to get ready, you do all kinds of other things first, and then the last minute you get ready? Raise your hand. All right, all right. First things first. Now, I, I just want to give a tip to those that are in the first category, that if you're one of those that gets ready, and you're ready, and you've got plenty of time, and you can just kind of take it easy beforehand, if you are married to one of those that piddles around, do not ever get in your car and honk the horn. Just a... It goes badly for you. I can tell you it just goes badly for you, okay? Okay. First things first. And none of those have anything really to do with the message other than first things first. Today, we're talking about giving, one of the most important topics of all Scripture. And, and if you're here for the first time, uh, and you're, uh, you know, I don't want you to hear this and say, oh, where are we? that's all they ever talk about, because the truth is we haven't talked about this for over two years now. So it's not something that we talk about a lot, but it's something that we do need to deal with when we're talking about stewardship. Actually, before I get into that, um, I, I was just thinking there's something I need to do today, and I need 100 bucks. So I, I need a $100 bill. So, oh, all right, thank you, Eric. Come on, bring it up here. All right, here it comes. Some of you are like, is it that easy? All right, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Here's $100. All right. We put that there. It's, it's, it's real. It's real. Just so you know. All right. Let's move on. Um, as we talk about giving, we're going to see how first things matter to God. First things matter to God. Now, you, you may not know this, but, but I have the gift of mind reading. And right now, I'm reading some of your minds. And, and here's what you're thinking. You're, right now you're thinking, ah, oh, I knew it. That's all that churches care about. They, all they want is your money. The pastor just wants to pad his pocket. And there are some others that are thinking, I, I don't want to hear about giving. I'm struggling already financially. I, 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 here I am making more today than I did a few years ago, and I don't have anything to show for it. I know that I should give, and whenever I hear a message on giving, I feel guilty about it, and I want to do better, but things are just tight. I'm struggling right now. It just hurts to hear this kind of message. And maybe, maybe you feel a lot like the writer of Haggai when he said in Haggai 1.6, 
You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How many of you would say, I, I, I've got one of those purses with holes in it? You ever been there? You've got a wallet with a hole in it. Just, it just seems like no matter what you do, all your money just goes, it's raptured or something. It just flies away. If that's you, I've got good news for you. The blessings and the power of God's word applied to the generous person are greater than anything you could ever imagine. And I believe that the teaching of God's truth will change your life. You know, most preachers, and I'm included, when it comes on a Sunday when you're going to speak about giving, it's a very self-conscious, very difficult time. It's a hard message to preach just simply because it's, it, you don't want to come off as self-serving because it's not about me at all. The truth is, I know that if we will get these principles of stewardship financially and, and, uh, and, and with, uh, uh, in, in terms of our testimony, in terms of our time, if we will get this, if we'll understand this, if you will put this to it, buried in your heart, if you'll let it grow in your heart, then I'm here to tell you, I know it will change your life. That's why I'm, I'm sharing this today because I know what it can do in your life. So let's talk about first things today. I want to read three different passages of scripture about the God who is first. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. And then in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And then one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Colossians chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God. That's, that line right there always blows my mind, because how can you make an image of an invisible God? But that's who Jesus is. And He said, goes on, the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on, our, on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been, been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. God is first. He is the supreme being who existed before everything else in this universe. He created everything, and that passage tells us that he holds it all together. So what does it mean to be first? And although that seems like a very simplistic question to ask, its implications will become very clear to us. First is defined as preceding all others in time, order, order or importance, or before another in time, space, or importance. God is first in the sense that he was earliest in time, and he's also foremost in importance. In any way you can think of applying the word first, God fits into that category because there is no one like him. He was before all of, all of creation. He sustains all of creation. There is no one like him. And, and in, the, in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve to rule over the earth. And they, they were not created to be slaves to God, but to rule on his behalf over other living things. God was first, and they were second. 
And to keep it that way, he established one prohibition. There was only one rule, one thing that they could not do. And how many of you know, uh, how many of you have a child and you've had that moment where they had one rule to keep and they could not even keep that one rule? Have you ever seen that happen? Well, that's what happened with Adam and Eve. They had one rule. And they, Adam and Eve were commanded not to eat the fruit of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and God, in doing that, in giving them that one thing, he was reminding them that he was in charge, that he is Lord, that while he's created them to rule over creation on his behalf, he was reminding them that, that he is still the Lord of all things. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was a constant reminder that although they had been given power and authority, they were still ruled by another. They still were accountable to someone else. The, the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil was, was really, listen to this, was really a test of lordship. It was a test of a firstness. The prohibition of a single tree gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to either be willingly obedient or willfully disobedient. That choice gave them the opportunity to choose to obey, choose to disobey. Now, the truth is, they, they were not the first. Lucifer was was, had been the first to rebel against God. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 tells us that he fell into pride and rebellion and he declared, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And he says, I will be like the most high. And what we know from scripture is that Lucifer was, he was just so full of himself that he, he left no room for God. His beauty was unmatched among all the other angels of heaven because he reflected the glory of God as he worshiped God. And Lucifer's first mistake was believing that he himself was beautiful outside of the presence of God, outside of the glory of God. And he failed to realize that he was only beautiful when he was reflecting the glory of God. And his own self-centeredness and pride blinded him to the fact that he could never be greater than the Lord God. In fact, we use that word Lord. The very word Lord is translated from the Hebrew word that means sovereign. It means there is none above. And although, although Lucifer was the first to vie for God's throne, after the fall of Adam and Eve, he was certainly not the last. Because sadly, we continue to compete for God's throne with our pride, with our greed, with our thirst for personal power. See, the office of lordship and the exalted position of the throne were created for the one true God. It's impossible for anyone or anything to replace God as first. And when we try to take that place, we challenge God's rightful position as the Lord of our lives. Here's what I know. You can bet that when I comes first in our lives, trouble will follow. When, when I come first, when I want this comes first, when I desire this comes first, when I demand this, when I will do this, when I, 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 when I comes first, trouble's going to follow because when, when our own desires are more important that, to us than God's desires, when we follow our own agenda rather than following God's plans, in that moment what we are doing is we are challenging God's authority over our lives. And that's really what Adam and Eve were doing. They were challenging the authority of God in, in eating of the tree of the 
knowledge of good and evil. They were saying, God has said, but I don't believe it. I'm going to do what I want instead. First things first. Today we talk about the principle of first things. So let's establish a couple of things from Scripture about first things, this principle of first things. The first is this, is that the firstborn belongs to God. We're going to see that first things matter to God. Exodus 13, 2, he says, set apart to me every what? Every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, whether human or animal, it is mine. This is God speaking. And then Exodus 34, 19, the first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. So God says, the firstborn belongs to me. Whether it's an animal, whether it's a person, the first belongs to me. It is mine. So what do you do with the firstborn donkey? He gives us an example here. The firstborn donkey, he says, even though it's an unclean animal, God says the firstborn donkey belongs to me. So you have the choice in scripture. You're given a choice as an Israelite under the old covenant of of redeeming the unclean donkey with a clean, innocent lamb, or or you can, instead of that, you can break the donkey's neck. Now, you, we read that in our modern sensibilities. And we say that makes no sense. Why would this? Why would God say this? What? What? I mean, what? How could killing the donkey be of more benefit to God's children than keeping it? Well, if for any reason the firstborn donkey is was not acknowledged as God's, see, that's the whole point. Is that it's His? He said, "The first is mine." That's the key for us to get all of this. If it's not acknowledged as as belonging to God, if I say I'm not going to do that, I'm going to keep this donkey, or I'm not going to redeem it with another animal, I'm not going to do that because it's mine anyway, then what happens is that donkey is an open door for rebellion. And by breaking the donkey's neck, the Israelites were saying, I can't just choose to keep what belongs to God. This is not mine. God said this is his. And that's why it was there. Under under the Old Testament system of sacrifice, it says the firstborn son belonged to the Lord. Now, God didn't, he didn't give the, uh, although much to the angst of many uh, parents of teenage boys, he did not give you the option of breaking the firstborn child's neck. Uh, The only option was to redeem the life of that child by sacrificing a lamb in his place. All of this was pointing ahead to the, it was a picture of the fact that there was going to be another lamb that was going to be sacrificed in our place that was going to redeem us. And and redeem us just simply means that the price was paid so that I could live. That for the donkey to redeem that donkey, the lamb was killed so that the donkey could live. Uh, and, and if you don't redeem it with the lamb, then death is the only option. And, and, and in order to redeem the life of that child, the lamb was sacrificed. And, and, and if you didn't have the lamb, if you couldn't do that, uh, the, the, if, if, you're, if you chose not to do that, then the other option was you, you could dedicate that child to the Lord and leave him in the synagogue, and he would serve the Lord, out, serve his days out serving God in the synagogue. But here's the thing. This is the principle that we have to get. And, and, we're, and I understand, we're, we don't live under Old Testament covenant, Old Covenant law. But there are principles that we learn 
from reading those things. And the principle for us is that God required the first of everything. If it wasn't the first, it didn't even count as having been given. Now, now to my human reasoning, if I were raising, you know, 50 or 100 sheep and, and God says, I want one from you, uh, uh, to me, I'd be thinking, why should it make a difference which one it is as long as I bring him a sheep? I mean, couldn't I just uh, bring him the biggest, the fattest, the wooliest one? Or, or maybe I could bring him the one with the biggest horns on it. Or maybe I should bring him the one that won the 4-H contest. No. God has declared... I want the first one. I don't care if it's your biggest or your best. The only adjective, adjective I care about, says God, is first. The first are mine. And, and because the Israelites understood that, keeping what belonged to God by either not giving it if it was a clean animal or not redeeming it if it was unclean, keeping what belonged to God was saying to God, you are not Lord in my life. This is not yours. It is mine and I'm keeping it. This is my stuff, not yours. This is my family, not yours. My life is not yours. My life is mine. So why is giving the first thing so important to the Lord? I mean, it's easy. We, we could say if, if he is Lord, he doesn't need my sheep and he doesn't need my kids. He doesn't need my money. He's Lord. He made it all. It's already his. And, and that's absolutely true. You're absolutely right in saying that. But remember, God established the principle of first things to remind us of the position he holds in our lives. That's why it matters. Because he says the first is mine. And then we, when we say, no, the first is mine, we're, we're saying to him, no, I'm making the decisions. I'm calling the shots. God cannot become second or third first things first that which is first matters to god the firstborn belongs to god then another thing we we see from scripture about first things is that the first tenth of everything that god gives us the first tenth of everything with which he entrusts us the tithe belongs to the lord Le leviticus twenty-seven thirty. all the the what all the tithe of the land of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the lord's it is holy to the lord now the word tithe we use that word and sometimes we don't even understand what it means but it just comes from a hebrew word that literally means tenth that's literally what tithe means. It means tenth. Uh, so the Bible tells us that a tenth, the, the first tenth, the first tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil or, from, or, or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. And it says that the first tenth is holy to the Lord. Now, we use that word, and we, we get real confused because holy can mean so many different things in our language, you know, but, but what really the word holy means in its essence, you break it down, it means set apart. To be holy means that you're set apart. So if your life is holy, that means you're living a life that is set apart to God and, and not to your own uh, desires or not to the way the world lives. If in the Old Testament, when, when the articles that were the furniture and the, the different things that were in the temple, when they, the Bible says that they were holy, it's because they were set apart only for God's house, only for him. That's what holy means, to be set apart. And let me just ask you this. I think you can understand a little bit here. Uh, how many of you have ever... 
uh, had someone eat something that you were saving to eat later? Has that ever happened to anybody? Some of you, I, I saw the bitterness fall over your face just as I even asked that question. I saw it coming. Maybe it was the last piece of cake or, or the last piece of pie or maybe the last cookie or something else. Probably was not Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know, I don't see anybody saying, hey, who ate the last Brussels sprout? I just don't see that happening. Maybe, maybe, if, but I don't know. But anyway, I also want to say this. If you are a, a male in this place, particularly if you are a dad, you're probably not the victim of this senseless, senseless crime, but you're more likely the perpetrator. Uh, in most households. But anyway, uh, you, you, you made an announcement to your family, to everyone. You, you, you stood up, hear ye, hear ye. Let it henceforth, henceforth be known that the last piece of chocolate pie is mine. Thus saith the dad, right? And so you made that announcement that that last piece of pie or the last cookie or whatever it was or the last bit of the leftovers that was yours, you wrote your name on the container, right? Anybody do that? We do that in our house. We, we know, we know. It's like, it's like, you know, you get this styrofoam, you scratch your name in it, you know, and you circle it, you make sure everybody, and that way there's no excuse. Oh, I thought it was mine. No, you knew it was not yours. That had my name on it. Anyway... <laughs> letting you in picture in our household we get very guarded with our food anyway you made that announcement and you came back later and someone has gone and eaten it now if you're like me it's that moment you, you launch a full scale CSI type investigation right you're taking fingerprints you're checking for DNA samples. You're, you're, you're taking, uh, uh, you know, foot molds of footprints off of the linoleum or what of the tile or the carpet, you know, whatever it is. You're doing it all. Or if you've got a toddler, it's a lot easier. You just look to see if they have chocolate on their face, right? But, uh, but, but you go through all this, and finally when that offender is, is in, in our custody, we proceed to read them their rights. And then we begin the process of sentencing, which, you know, could be anything from grounding to a body slam, depending on how delicious the food was that was stolen. But we, we get really, really upset. Why was that? It wasn't a big piece. It was one piece of pie. But we get upset because that piece belonged to me. Right? Here's the principle. The tithe. That first tenth of everything God blesses you with already belongs to God. That's what he said. So that means you don't give it, you return it. You don't give it, you return it. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole what? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So what is the storehouse? Well, most Bible scholars agree that the storehouse is a, is a picture in the New Testament of the New Testament church. The New Testament church is God's chosen vessel to carry the message of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Therefore, we bring a tithe, we bring 10%, that first fruits of our, of our labor, to the local church. And then we give offerings above and beyond the tithe. So we return the tithe, and, but we, and we bring the tithe back to him, but we 
we offer offerings to him. And our offerings, they can go to other, to, to other ministries in the church. They can go to, you know, Samaritan's Purse. or You know, they got this Christmas shoebox deal. And uh, they can, your offerings can go to a missionary. Your offerings can go to an evangelist. Your offerings can go to feed hungry children around the world. Your offerings can go to help support, you know, Christian radio, whatever you want to do. Your offerings can go to support a pastor with two daughters. If, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding, seriously. Um, the tithe goes to the church and the offerings go beyond whatever God puts in your heart. But that first tenth belongs to God. Like some of you, you're still wondering how in the world did I sucker Eric into giving me $100? That's still on your mind. In fact, you haven't heard anything else that I preached about so far today. But uh, what, you, what you don't know is that before service started, I went up to Eric and, Eric and I said, Eric, I'm going to give you this $100 bill. It's mine. This is mine, and I want you to hold on to it until I ask for it. And he said, sure. And then when I asked for $100, he, without hesitation, without reservation, he gave that back to me. Why? Because it didn't belong to him. And in fact, if he had said, no, I'm not going to give it back to you, it would certainly be stealing. The tithe, the first 10% belongs to God. Remember this, you can't give what you don't own. The tithe belongs to him, so you return it to him. Eric didn't give me this $100 bill because this was mine in the first place. All he did was return it to me after I put it into his, his care for, for safekeeping. So, so what is tithing? Tithing isn't really giving to God. It's returning to him what already belongs to him. We return the tithe to the Lord. We, we give it up to God to remind ourselves that he is Lord. Now, I know a lot of people, and especially a lot of new believers, say, man, that just sounds crazy. How, how, how can we ever do that? And, and I understand that. I, I totally get that. I, 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 I actually read about a... Uh, guy who at the age of 14 or 15 was chosen to be an usher in his church. And so uh, he ushed every week. I guess that's what ushers do. I'm an usher, so that makes you ush. So he ushed. Um, and, and he'd pass the plate and stand there and pretend like he was really important. But one week, his buddy, who was also an usher, uh, said to him, he said, you know, the sermon's always boring, which I can get that. I understand that. And he said, let's do our ushering and then let's go next door during the ser sermon and buy some ice cream. Then we'll sneak back in and nobody will notice that we're gone. And this young man thought, man, that is a great idea. Let's, let's do this. The problem was that he, it was time to go and he had no money that day to go buy ice cream. So he dug into the offering plate, the money that was devoted to God and put some in his pocket and he went and ate ice cream, stolen ice cream, stolen from God. Well, let me tell you something. What scripture is teaching us here is that every time I withhold the tithe from God, I'm doing the exact same thing. What does God say? Keeping what belongs to God is stealing. The first tenth belongs to the, to the Lord. God said it this way in Malachi 3, 8, and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, 
the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. In other words, it's another way of saying what he said in Haggai. You have purses with holes. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. First things first. That which we do first matters to the heart of God. The firstborn belongs to God. The first tenth belongs to God. And let's talk for just a minute about what I call the first test. God, God clearly, over and over in Scripture, many times in His Word, says, do not put me to the test. He says that often. He says, don't test me in this. Don't try me. Don't, you know, don't, don't try to test the Lord your God. But there is, there is one place and only one place in all of Scripture that God allows us, in fact, encourages us to test him. And that is with the tithe. God said in Malachi 3, verses 10 and 11, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not droop, drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God says, you don't believe me? Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing for you that you will not have enough room for it. Try me. Put it to the test. Go ahead. Give it a shot. That's what God's saying. It's almost as if God is saying, I dare you to do this. I dare you. I double dog dare you. He might even skip right to the, the, the grand master of all. I triple dog dare you to do this. Give it a try, he says, and see if I will not prove faithful to you and bless you beyond what you could ever imagine. And you know, we need to understand some of the things that he says there. He doesn't just talk about a greater increase in the harvest, but he also talks about a, pre a preservation of what he has given to us when we honor him this way. He said, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Here's what I know. In my life, there have been times, and, and we, we are faithful in bringing our tithe to the Lord, the very first check the very first entry into my, into my checking account. Uh, every payday is my tithe first. And over the years we have done that. And there've been times when, how many of you ever had times when times were a little lean? That ever happened to you? Sure. It has it happens to everybody, or at least, you know, every, all normal people. But I can tell you, we've honored the God that way that, all the time. And there have been times in response that we received an unexpected gift. That happened these last couple of years. There were times when, when we were surprised with gifts from people we hadn't seen for years. And we were just shocked. And we were just, God, this is just so amazing, your faithfulness. But there have been other times when you look back and you don't realize what he has been doing until the, the time comes. Like, like a, a time not too long ago, back before we moved here in Georgetown, when we had to, re, we had to replace our washing machine. And, and we went to, I went looking for a washing machine, and I was checking around. But as I was doing that, I began thinking to myself, I thought, you know, when, when did we buy that washing machine? And we started, I started looking at the old receipts and everything, and I realized, now you got to understand, if you get 10 years out of a washing machine today, you're doing really good, right? I mean, anybody familiar enough with appliances? That's how they build them to, so, that, so that it costs more to repair them than to buy a new one, so they try to force in the cycle of constantly buying new. Well, I got to, I got to 
researching that. And that crazy washing machine lasted us for 20 years without a single service call. Those parts are supposed to wear out. I believe that was God preventing the pests from devouring the crops. That was God saying, okay, this time I'm not going to give you money to cover a new washing machine. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure your washing machine lasts a little longer so you won't need that. It's not going to eat away at the money that you have in your bank account. See, I, I just believe this all my heart. I've seen it with my own life. There, there, there are a lot of people who, who, who hear this and they say, you know, where God says, test me in this, try me in this. I, let me prove to you that I'm faithful in this. And they hear this and they say, would, would God really do this? I mean, will this really work? And I'm telling you from my experience, absolutely, absolutely it works. It is real. God takes care of those who honor him. It'll build your faith. And God will bless you. I'm confident. I'm absolutely confident in God's promise. And if you're fa- fearful about giving 10% or more of your income to the Lord, then here's what I challenge you to do. A, do a 90-day test, all right? Begin giving 10% of your income to the Lord's work and watch and see if God does not begin working in your life in ways you haven't previously experienced. And if after 90 days you regret that decision or you feel that you've never experienced God's divine help in your finances or, or, or you feel like you, he hasn't blessed you uh, and as a result of that, then, then discontinue the test. But at least you've done what he said and tested him. However, if you've experienced during that time God's help, then joyfully continue giving 10% or more to the Lord's work. Test him. He dares you. Put him to the test and watch as God proves himself faithful. First things matter to God because it's a statement about his lordship in our lives. First things matter. So what do we do? We give first. Not what's left over. You know, at Thanksgiving, one of my favorite parts is leftovers. But God says, I don't want your leftovers. He says, put me first. Why? It's because it requires faith to give first. And Hebrew says, without faith is impossible to please God. It requires faith to give first. If you give last, if you give the leftovers, it takes no faith, right? Because at the end of when you've done everything you need to do or everything you want to do, if there's any leftover, well, okay, I'll drop a 20 spot in the offering. That's, you know, that's all good, but that takes no faith. But God asks us to give it up to him first. You know, a great biblical example of this is Abraham. We're going to close with this. Some of you you know the story of Abraham. What was his great desire? He, he wanted to have a son. And then God uh, spoke to him and promised him that not only would he have one son, but that he would become the father of many nations. And so uh, making a long story short, after years and years and years of being patient, 20 years at least uh, being patient, God gave him a son and, and Abraham named him Isaac. Now, now, here's the crazy thing. You know the story because what, what did God at one point in time ask God to do with Isaac? He asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, now check this out. Some people like to say, yeah, what kind of God would do that? Well, the point is, is that God wouldn't allow him to actually do it. And, and, and God was making a point. He was painting a picture for us later on in that whole process. But, but check this out. God asked Abraham to give his only son. 
you catch that? God didn't wait until Abraham had many sons. He didn't wait until he had a dozen sons and say, okay, now I want you to go up there where Abraham would be able to say, well, that's fine because, you know, I've got 11 others. God asked him to give his first and his only son because first things matter to God. So, so what happened? Well, Abraham obeyed. We know from Hebrews that he's, he, he had in his heart, he believed that that if he actually went through with it, that God could raise Isaac from the dead. That's the kind of faith he had. You can read that, Hebrews chapter 11. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. But he took his son up to the top of the mountain, and he, and he took that knife in his hand and, and raised it up over his head, and just as he was ready to strike the fatal blow, and just as he was about to obey what God had told him to do, an angel stopped him. He stayed the hand of Abraham and said, Stop, you passed the test. You were obedient. You did what I asked you to do. And then he said, told him, that showed him that there was a, in the bushes, there was a ram that was caught there, an innocent animal. And God said, You can sacrifice the blood of the innocent animal, and that satisfies. That, uh, that sacrifice will satisfy me and your son will be redeemed. It was a picture of what Christ was going to do where we were the, we were the ones that, that, that should have died and yet he took, as, as an innocent lamb, took our place. That was the whole point of the whole experience was to paint a picture of what he was going to do with his own son. What did, when, here's the question though. When did Abraham offer his first son? It was before he had other sons. It wasn't a leftover he was bringing to God. He offered in faith first, and then God blessed him and made him the father of many nations. We give to God first because first things matter to him. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be overflowing, be filled overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So, so what do we do? Our first commitment must be unto the Lord. God calls us to give first. And, 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 and by the way, I'm not just talking about finances there either. Put him first in our time. Put him first in our relationships. God calls us to put first things first. Would you bow your head and let's pray together? God, we just ask that in these next few moments, that by faith, that we would begin to put you first. Not just financially, Lord God, but, but that's just one part of our life. It's an important aspect of our lives because we, we actually give away part of our life to earn that money. And so when we bring our tithe, it's a symbol of laying our lives at your feet. But God, it goes way beyond that. It's about putting you first in all things. It's about saying, Lord, it's not about my plans. It's your plans. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. It's not about what I'm going to do, but what you want me to do. And I want to, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you this morning, is God first? Is God first in your finances? Our, our finances are, are one of the greatest indicators of what we really, what we genuinely believe about God. But so is our time. Is God first in your time? 
So our, our relationships, is God first in your relationships? There, some, of, some of us here that we'd have to say, if we were honest, God is not first. He's not first in your finances. He's not first in your relationships. He's not first in your thought life. He's not first in your planning. He's not first really in any part of your life. And the call for us today in that place is to re- repent before him and, and put, begin to put him first. And this morning, those of you that are here in this place and say, yes, Lord, I, I choose to put you first. I want you to be first in every way. Whether you, whether you feel like, listen, some of you are saying God's not first. Some of you are saying, I feel like I am putting him first. But listen, for all of us, this is the question. Those of you would say, yes, God, I choose to put you first. You be first in every way. Would you, if that's your heart, would you just lift your hand before him today? In a moment of honesty, and just simply say, God, I put you first. God, I put you first. Now, now do this. As, you, as you're praying, I want you in your own words, whatever it is, if there's an area where you're lacking, I want you just to, to talk to him and say it to him. If he's not first in your finances, you make a commitment to him. If he's not first in your business, you make a commitment to him. If he's not first in your marriage, make a commitment to him. You just tell him, Lord, I put you first. Forgive me for putting myself or other things before you. I put you first now. And as you repent of that and you put him first, he's going to bless that life. This is your time. You pray as God leads you. God, we commit to put you first. Lord, we, we come before you and you know those areas, Lord God, where we walk in fear rather than faith. Sometimes it's our finances that we're more afraid of our the financial side of things. Sometimes it's it's in opening our heart and loving people, and, and we just we don't put your, you first and what you want us to do first in that. And so many ever uh, so many areas of our lives, God. Right now, Lord, all across this room, we're praying, Lord, I put you first. I put you first. There's nothing of greater importance than you. There's nothing that's going to come before you. There's nothing that's going to to block my vision of who you are anymore. Lord, I put you first. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Begin to reshape our hearts and reshape our desires. Help us to want you more than we want anything else in this world. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what where anyone is in this place but maybe you'd say you know what I just don't even have a relationship with God he's not first in my life because he's not really in my life and I wonder if there's anybody here would say pastor I want you just to pray for me I'm not going to embarrass you I promise you that but you'd say I I want to begin to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ I want my life to change I know the only way that's going to happen is if he does it. Because, listen, we all have those areas of our lives that if we could have changed it, we would have already. I talk to alcoholics and drug addicts and say, you can't do this on your own because if you could, you would have already. We're all in the same boat. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to begin to build my life on him. I want to see what he can do in me. 
that's you, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Is there anybody? Yes. Anybody else? All right. Everybody just pray this prayer. Just simple prayer. Just pray it out loud with me, would you? Heavenly Father, I need Jesus in my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I failed you. I know that I've put other things before you, including myself. And I'm sorry for that, Lord. I want my life to change. I want you to be first in all things. So I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were raised again on the third day, that you are alive now, and that you have the power to forgive sins. So I surrender myself to you and I receive the salvation you offer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.